History is just so much more than what you learn in school. It's not just cramming the night before. It's not just a bunch of dates to be memorized and maybe a social event or two that happened that you're supposed to memorize. History is the story of billions of humans before us. History is about their lives, about what they did, about their beliefs, their thoughts, their lives, who they were and what they would become. Everyone knows of Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Caesar, but there were people before them, there were people after them, there were people in other places at the same time who did equally great things, who we have just forgotten. And there's just so much history out there that's amazing that you'll never learn if you're not exposed. And that's what I'm here to do. Welcome to Overlooked, off-textbook history, where we're going to be looking at some of the most random and obscure history possible. For our first episode, we'll be starting strong with a well-known topic with the strength of raw, unadulterated horsepower, metal in the chaos of battle. We are starting with the Scythe Chariot. You might know chariots in general from games like Rome 2, movies like Ben-Hur, or just from wicked art on the internet. Chariots are old. They're older than horseback riding. They're older than the Odyssey. They're older than ironworking. They date to around 4000 BC from the grassy steppes of Russian Ukraine. The chariots were originally carts, designed for oxen and donkeys to pull. Over time, 2,000 years that is, they became lighter and more efficient. They had an inner. They were originally built with a big wooden wheel, which was bulky and inefficient. Over time, it became a three-part system, an inner bit on the axle, an outer bit of rim to soak up wherever you're walking, and in between, spokes which held the uh, inner, inside and outside together and kept the wheel working. This is the same system our wheels are based off of. The carriage went from a giant planks of wood strapped together to thin woven carriages made from strong fibers like grasses. Chariots were so light that you'd be able to carry one over your head. Furthermore, the chariots didn't also only change for the horse. The horse changed for the chariot. Horses, when first domesticated, were exceptionally small. They had to be bred to be bigger and stronger. Even when they were bred to be bigger, they would be practically ponies in the modern sense of the world. The issue is, is that they had to be, they couldn't be ridden on yet, which is why people would make chariots, because why waste all this time with chariots when you could just go on a horse? Horses, sadly, did not, for the people of time, did not have the energy to be ridden like that. Another issue is, is that we didn't really understand how harnesses worked back then. So the harnesses went around the neck instead of the shoulders. Ancient China had harnesses that went around the shoulders, but those didn't come to the West for centuries. And China really didn't have much scythe chariots. So this falls outside of our uh, limits, our concerns for today. But the, it would go around the neck, which would choke the poor horses. And there were surgeries that were attempted to expand the nostrils to improve the airflow. These probably didn't work, but there's no way anyone's trying to prove that now. Chariots were the key striking force of the Bronze Age. As horses, as I just said, they were too small to ride, and men are too slow to do what you do with a horse. They were a compromise, and they worked. But that's really not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about scythe chariots. We're here to talk about big, cool chariots with shiny flashing blades that cut up your legs, scare the enemy, and make you look badass. That's what we're here for. The scythe chariot is a uniquely Persian invention. Every documented usage of scythe chariots in history are either by the Persians themselves or a culture who were directly influenced by the Persians or who wanted to be seen as Persian. This also includes Leonardo da Vinci's scythe chariot, which is a whole nother topic. 
Before the, the Persians, the way chariots worked is they were a fast-paced, lightly armored vehicle. There were two to three people. There'd be the driver and the archer, occasionally a fighter. The driver would control the two horses, driving them around, and the archer would shoot. It was a mobile, fast-rate firing platform. Think of what the Mongols would do, but with two horses and two men doing the work of what one Mongol with a horse could do. The archer would have a bow and arrows and javelins and a spear just in case. This was what they would do, and in case when they would have a fighter with them, the fighter would also be on the chariot with a spear and shield in case people got close. This is what they did in the Bronze Age, but it has its issues. The horses are smart, in general, to this day, and back then. And horses, when they see heavy infantry with big spears, do not want to run into that. So while the rider eggs them forward, at the last second, they would turn to the side. And this would often cause a collision or goats hold the side and the riders can fall off or the infantry could run you down it sucks it doesn't work too well once the assyrians bred horses to be large enough to ride chariots disappear overnight two men on horses with spears are more than twice as effective as two men two horses and a carriage wasn't even a competition we're not here to mourn the loss of the chariot we're here to see how it evolved and according to Dr. Alexander Nefedkin, the chariot evolved into the scythe chariot after the Greco-Persian Wars. People claim that they might have existed before, but there's no real evidence. There's no real written evidence that explicitly says scythe chariot, the tactics between a regular chariot and a scythe chariot, which we will go into later, don't worry, are fundamentally extremely different. And there's no reason for them to evolve so early on. Dr. Nefedkin speculates that after the uh, Persian, the Greco-Persian Wars, the Persians realized they had nothing that could really fight the Greek soldiers on foot. So they invented the scythe chariot. That's his argument. And I think it's very substantial. So that's what I'm going to go with in this podcast. If you have any sources otherwise, please send them to me. I would love that. So... According to Dr. Alexander Nefedkin, the scythe chariot is probably first used in the Egyptian revolt, which is shortly after the Greco-Persian Wars, but our sources are scant. Okay, that's great of me and all, but how did the Greeks fight so strange? Why does it need a new type of chariot to counter it? And what is this new type of chariot, the scythe chariot? How does it differ from a regular chariot? So, the Greeks fought as hoplites. They fought in very long lines with very deep ranks. They had big shields, big spears, and lots of armor. Chest plates, knee covers, helmets. They would walk up in great lines and they would push with their shields and then stab with their spears, knocking over the enemy and goring them. This is something no other civilization had at the time, and it was a very, very powerful tactic. So the Persians developed the scythe chariot. How does this differ from a regular chariot? So, there's four horses instead of the regular two, so we have double the horsepower now. The horses are covered in thick cloth armor, or occasionally chainmail even, which would give them a good level of protection. Instead of having three fighters, there would just be the driver. Sometimes there would be two fighters on board with him, but that happens later. And of course, the big scythes, three-foot curved blades that were on the axle. So as long as the horses are moving, so are these blades. 
So the horses run at the enemy formation. The Greeks, mind you, are fighting in big lines. So imagine a long line and these four horses and the driver going at them. The horses do not want to crash because, again, horses are smart. The horses turn to the side right in front of the enemy. And they're running parallel to the enemy now. But the sides, the sides are in the enemy. They're rolling. They're cutting the legs. It's horrific. And the horses are running at 10 to 15 miles an hour. It's fast. It cuts through their armor. It cuts through the tendons. It's also extremely scary. And that's the purpose. These things aren't supposed to just be a weapon by themselves. They're supposed to be a psychological tactic. They're scary. Do you want to fight a giant horse-ran horse machine that will cut your legs up? It's a nightmare. Alright, so that's what scythe chariots are. They're pretty freaking cool. It's a man, four horses, giant curved blades running around your army. But how does that actually do in battle? It, it sounds cool, but does it work? So the earliest known mention is the Battle of Pateria, which is the Lydians who lived in western Turkey versus the Persians who were in the process of conquering their giant empire. According to Diodorus, the Persians had 300 chariots, and these chariots attacked the mercenaries that the Lydians used to fight, who ran in fear. Herodotus, who is much more reliable and closer to the time, claims that chariots weren't used, but it was the Persians' camels which scared the Lydian cavalry into retreating, and then the Persians could use their camels to encircle the Lydian army and then inflank them and win. Herodotus makes more sense because if these chariots already exist, why are they never seen the next generation during the Persian Wars? Also, we know from history that horses not exposed to camels run in fear. I give this one a 7 out of 10 if it exists, and a pathetic out of 10 if it doesn't exist. While it's great that the Battle of Pateria might have been won by scythe chariots, they probably didn't exist yet, because again, this is before the Persian Wars, this battle, the Greco-Persian Wars, that is. So, the Greco-Persian Wars happened, and the, according to conventional theory, the scythe chariot is developed, and then one of the Persian kings dies. His two sons get in a civil war. One of these sons marches on to the capital with 10,400 hoplites, 2,500 peltas, and large amount of Persian levies. He also has 1,500 cavalry, and somewhere between 20 and 150 scythe chariots. Very big gap. But hey, at least we know they exist. He brings his army to fight his brother, Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes has 40,000 men. We don't know much else, except he also had a good amount of cavalry and some chariots of his own. So, how do the chariots do in this battle? They got sniped, straight up. The Peltast, when they saw the chariots run at them, threw their javelins, killed the riders, and then the horses just ran around confused. And they would run at the hoplites who just banged their spears on their shields and scared the horses to run away. Cyrus almost wins the battle, but then he rushes at his brother, gets killed by his brother's guard, and everyone runs away from the battlefield except the Greeks because they don't speak Persian and have no idea what's happening. On a side note, these 10,000 or change Greeks are now stuck in the middle of the enemy territory after just supporting the man who wanted to get the throne, who just died. They're in a horrible situation. Xenophon, a low-ranking low commander, takes this group and marches them from modern-day Iraq 
all the way back to Greece. It's a crazy story I'd love to cover someday. So on a tactical level, I give them a 4 out of 10. They were useless. But hey, at least they didn't, like, kill their own men, really. So, that's great. That's a nice, strong start to our history of chariotry, side chariotry. They just did nothing in their first battle. So, after that, the Persians go quiet, and then Athens and Sparta get in a very big war with each other. It lasts over 40 years. It's called the Peloponnesian War, and it's one of the bloodiest events in Greek history. It's fascinating. The Persians are kind of playing the Spartans against the Athenians and the Athenians against the Spartans. Chief to the Persian effort is a man named Pharnabazus II. He is a Persian satrap, like a governor, and he controls western modern-day Turkey, and he's in that area. First, they side with the Spartans. Then the Spartans are just really annoying and violate their treaties, so he goes and joins the Athenians on the Persian behalf. In the year 395, He's just chilling in western Anatolia, which is the peninsula part of Turkey, with 400 cavalry and two scythe chariots. There's 700 Spartans at one point he finds just running around the land. The Sp- he sees the Spartans from a distance, and the two chariots, followed by the cavalry, run in and mow them down. They try to form up into ranks, but the chariots cut around 100 of them down before they retreated. So this... This is a good start. The enemy is defeated, they run in chaos, and the chariots win. The chariots did have support, but like, every unit in history has support. This battle, 10 out of 10. So, the Peloponnesian War goes on, and both sides lose. In the end, they both fight to a standstill, and the Macedonians show up right after the war, and they conquer everything. They unite all the Greeks under their banner, And they plan on invading the Persian Empire. But then their king dies, and his son, Alexander the Great, takes over. Alexander fights two battles, the Battle of the Granicus River and the Battle of Issus, and he destroys the Persians. Darius III makes a gigantic army for one last attempt to stop Alexander. Ancient sources claim somewhere around half a million. And while that's a pretty fun amount... Modern historians estimate 50,000 to 120,000 men. Alexander had 47,000. Darius also has 200 scythe chariots, but this is probably an exaggeration. In the preparation of the battle, he has his engineers flatten the battlefield. This is a huge issue of chariots. Chariots need flat, stable ground, so the wheels are able to move smoothly so that the scythes can turn and cut people up. Alexander comes to the battlefield and sees it flattened and knows Persian tactics, so his army was ready. As the battle started, Darius sends forward his scythe chariots. They rush Alexander's army. Dozens die in the initial charge to people shooting them with javelins, and then once they reach the ranks of Alexander's men, the pikemen jump out of the way of the blades and then surround and kill the charioteers. According to some historians, some people just freaking jumped onto the chariots and killed the drivers. Alexander would end up just winning the battle solely to how cool he is. That's really the tactical rundown. From a chariot perspective, this is a fat L. With basic preparation against them, they stood no chance. I give them a 1 out of 10. Alexander would go to conquer the largest empire the world had ever seen. Then die. He could have been poisoned, murdered, disease, we don't know. Everyone blamed everyone else, and after many decades of civil war, 
the empire fragmented. The largest fragment was the Seleucids, who controlled the Asian provinces. They tried to control Anatolia, which again is most of modern-day Turkey, but they had stiff competition. Their biggest enemies there were the Roman Republic. The Roman Republic was just coming onto the global stage, and in the year 190 BC, at the Battle of Magnesia, the two of them fought it out. The Seleucids had 70,000 men. They also had elephants, camels, and 40 chariots. The Romans had 50,000 men and a couple cavalry. It was a foggy and moist morning, which affected the ground conditions. It also infected archers because they couldn't string their boats. Now, again, the ground is bad now, so the chariots can't even run properly. That's another issue. So, the battle starts with the Seleucids sending forward their heavy cavalry. The elephants, the camels, the chariots. Javelins are thrown, they panic, they run back into their own men, and all die. And that isn't even the reasons the Seleucids lost. The Romans just ended up out-competing them in battle. I give them a useless out of 10. But for a real rating, I'll give it a 3. Point is, is the chariots against trained infantry who know what's coming are useless. They're also exceptionally susceptible to projectiles. The Romans would go on to destroy the Seleucid Empire, making them a rump state. They were pathetic and practically gone by this point. And... Anatolia fell into a power vacuum. Many small countries arose into power. One of these was Pontus, based in northeastern Turkey. Pontus claimed to be descended from Alexander's family and the Persian royal line, being the best of the best of both sides. At least that's what they told themselves. Their king was Mithridates VI at the time. Mithridates is a fascinating figure who I would love to get into in a later episode. He went into battle with the Bithyans, who were a Greek-styled kingdom who were slightly to the west. The Bithyans had around 50,000 men and 6,000 horse. We have no idea what Mithridates had for battle. They claim his army was a quarter of a million men, but at the same time he was outnumbered in battle by 50,000? Appian makes no sense. So the battle started. And the Pontic soldiers and the Bithyan soldiers line up to fight. As they fight, 600 scythe chariots circle the flanks, running in the sides on the Bithyan infantry, those scythes spinning, cutting many people. Again, these are psychological weapons. The battle is happening. There's blood everywhere. Your friends are dying. Out of nowhere, these big flashing chariots pulled by four giant horses come down. And these blades, three-foot curved blades, are cutting your legs. Limbs are flying. According to the sources, this was a horrific battle. And the Bithyans were unable to withstand this attack by the enemy up front and the chariots on the flank. The Bithyans fled the battle. The chariots actually did their job. I give them a 10 out of 10. Mithridates really liked his chariots. Three years later, at the Battle of Cherona, the Roman army has 30,000 legionnaires, 2,000 cavalry. They're fighting Mithridates, 45,000 infantry, 20,000 light infantry, 2,000 cavalry, and somewhere between 250 to 500 chariots. These numbers are probably inflated, but we don't know. There's no way of knowing. But that's a lot of chariots, and that's a lot of horses to feed. Would have made more sense for those resources to go towards cavalry. So it's very likely that the chariots were a fraction of this number. During the battle, in the same way that Mithridates did three years earlier at the river Amnius, the chariots charged the Romans, but the Romans knew it was coming and just jumped out of the way and chucked their javelins. The chariots would run in fear. 
This time, they ran into their own allied army, killing their own men. In the confusion, the Romans ran in and butchered the Pontic army. Useless. Worse than useless. They lost the battle. I give it a negative 1 out of 10 this time. That's, that's pathetic. After the chaos of Cherona, Mithridates would end up making peace with the Romans, ending the first Mithridatic War. As you could tell by the first, this would not be the end. There'd be two more wars, ending with Mithridates being stuck in a palace, and rather than being enslaved and humiliated by the Romans, he committed suicide. His kingdom was turned into a Roman client state under Pharnaces II, his son. Pharnaces would end up waiting and biding his time until in the year 47 BC, he would revolt against the Romans. Julius Caesar, who was in the middle of taking the chaos of the collapse of the Roman Republic, came by to beat him up. Caesar had less than 10,000 men. Pharnaces has over 20,000. The Roman army was stationed on top of a hill. Pharnaces II came in the early morning. His chariots ran uphill to surprise the Roman army as they slept, but they were already waking up, and the rest of the army was behind. So, the chariots charged, but they could not break the fortifications, and they were repelled by javelins. It was a five-day campaign from Caesar landing in Turkey to this battle, which he would end up crushing Pharnaces, who he captured for the Republic, which was no longer a Republic. It was already his dictatorship, fundamentally. This five-day campaign is where we got Veni Vidi Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. On a side note, the Romans did not have V as the sound. The V was a W. So it was Weni Vidi Wichi, which I just find a lot cooler. So the chariots tried, they failed, but hey, at least they tried this time. I give them a three, but like a sympathetic three. That is every single documented battle where we have side chariots. That's six to eight battles. One of these battles is a skirmish. One of these other battles might not have even had side chariots. So that's like two to three wins and five losses. That's not a good record. They occasionally worked as a psychological we weapon, as we saw at the Battle of the River Amnius. But once the enemy knows that you have them and how to counter them, they're useless. Worse than useless. It's a waste of resources. So how did these survive from Persian times to the Roman Republic's collapse? Well, number one, they're badass. People like badass things. They're cool. They're big, they're flashy, and three-foot curve blades. The fact that people still talk about them, to some extent at least, shows that there was some merit to them. It was also a psychological weapon, which those do work occasionally. Chariots also were extremely traditional to the region. After all, this is where they evolved as a weapon in the Bronze Age. So by using any form of chariot, you're connecting yourself to these older empires. Furthermore, the Persians were the ones who really made scythe chariots. So later empires, like the successors, and uh, the Alexandrian successors, that is, and Pontic kingdoms, used scythe chariots as a way of harking back to those earlier times and claiming to be a link in that chain. The Persians really were just experimenting with them. Like, we see them used every now and then with hesitation. So they didn't even really like them. But then everyone else said, hey, the Persians used them. I want to be like the Persians. Look at us. We're like the Persians. And also, 
if you have the infrastructure in place for these, you might as well use them. You already have people raising horses to be used in teams. You already have the people who know how to make the chariot blades. Like you, These skills are useful. You might as well use them. So, even though they were functionally irrelevant, side chariots had their day under the sun. They made their mark. After the Pontic Wars, they really disappear because Rome controlled the Mediterranean by the time they stopped being effective. And once the Romans controlled the known world, that started the period of Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Peace means no war. No war means no weaponry. Well, no inventing weaponry, that is. And why would you bother maintaining something like scythe chariots? There was no need for them at this point. At the end of the day, they were badass, they were cool, and occasionally they might even get the job done. Thank you so much for listening, and have a good day.